everyone. It's your girl, Rajet Speaks. Welcome to another episode of Narrative Shifts. Uh, this is our second episode. Say to everybody, it's our second. Um, this is a space that is safe and it's a space where we are redesigning and reframing narratives that go out about us. And so today you will uh, recognize my two guests if you paid attention or you were watching the first episode. Uh, we decided to have... Um, a second part to this thing. Um, there were some things that came up in the first episode that we wanted to kind of dive a little deeper in. Uh, we know that the first episode was pretty heavy. There were some things that that came out uh, that that were pretty deep. And you know, if you were watching, you know, we know that it, it may have moved you in a certain type of way. Uh, we also know that some people uh, were really blessed by it. We've gotten some some good feedback actually uh, from the first episode. So just thank you. Stick around. Um, every episode is not about loss. Every episode is not about grieving and therapy. We're in a series right now, and so I decided to kick. I decided to <laughs> kick off narrative shifts um, with a four, or five, four or five part series uh, that focused on Black men and mental health, and so. So, you know, if it's something that you find is too heavy for you right now, that's totally understandable. But just come back. We have some really cool things lined up in terms of leadership. We've got some really cool people doing amazing things and some amazing spaces. And that's the whole point of narrative shifts so that we can see ourselves in these spaces that we don't always see ourselves in. Um, and then as other people are viewing us outside of our communities, they're seeing us in these spaces as well. And we are no longer seen as an anomaly, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that's the point of Narrative Shifts, and I want us to move forward in this. Um, it is more than just a show. There are some things that are, that are building around it. Um, but all of that said, thank you for joining us again. Um, again, we, we meet weekly. I'll see you weekly in the broadcast space at 7 o'clock on Mondays. Um, if you missed the live you definitely can find us on a rebroadcast or a restream. So you're not going to miss anything. There's a YouTube page. There's the Vimeo page. We're here. Um, definitely, you know, Facebook Live, we're, we're doing those things. So thank you for joining us. Um, today, we have back with us Desmond Smith. Hey, Des. What up? How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. And we got Shanta Hayes. How's it going? Hi. Doing well. Good, good. So um, we are just going to keep it kind of casual. We probably won't be on a full, uh, you know, one hour episode today, but we are going to just talk about a few things that came up that were highlighted a bit um, from the last episode. And then also just kind of um, talk a little bit about some strategies and these types of things that uh, are, are, are really necessary and important when you are going through um, your own sort of healing process. Okay. So we're not in this episode going to dive too deep into the actual, um, loss that, you know, Desmond, uh, experienced. You'll have to catch the first episode for that. Um, but we are going to kind of talk about uh, a few things around that. Okay. So, um, I guess I'll start with Des. I got a couple of questions here and I'm a jotter. So you're going to see me doing this and looking off to the side, notes everywhere. Um, but Desmond, you know, um, I want to know what you would say to black men who are maybe on the fence about um, attending therapy or, or going to to get some help. You know, maybe they're dealing with something personal. Maybe they're dealing with uh, maybe they're dealing with loss. Maybe they're dealing with a divorce. Maybe they're dealing with um, a job transition. Anything, right? Where there may be emotions that rise up that might be a little bit misplaced or displaced? Like how would you, what, what would you say to somebody who might be on the fence about attending therapy? Um, I, I would say to, to anyone, but specifically to black men, like just try it. Like you, you go for checkups and you go to other uh, professionals for services. You get your lawn taken care of, you get your, uh, you get your teeth done at the dentist every six months. You go to the doctor's office to get checked up when you feel like something's not right. When you feel like something's not right internally in your heart or in your mind, you really need to go get checked out. Like go, go talk to somebody, um, that's certified, that's trained and has, uh, you know, the tools to, um, to help you like do it. Like, why not? It'll only help you, uh, feel better. Um, and eventually, uh, come out with some strategies and, and uh, you'll become a better person for it. Uh, you may even help, you know, your family in the long run when it comes down to it. So I would strongly encourage you to go and get some support, get some assistance, get some help. You know, I appreciate um, that response. And one of the things that 
you just said is that, you know, you might help somebody. And so, you know, so I think sometimes we forget that the way we live on this earth is, and we don't always like this, the things that we go through often, once we get on the other side of those things Mm -hmm. serves as a help to someone else. Right. Now, I know everybody doesn't have the same belief set and this kind of thing. And I don't know, you know, even, you know, anyone who doesn't believe in God or whomever that, you know, look, do you, but you have to know that we're connected right. on the planet. You have to know that connections exist. And so in a moment when, man, I'm going through something that's real crap right now, mm-hmm. you know, and it might be really difficult to overcome or get through it. Nobody's trying to hear at that time, like, okay, I'm going through this with somebody else. That no one wants to hear that. We hear it because we're conditioned to saying that it's going to be all right. It's going to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. You don't hear that when you're in the middle of something. Nah. Um, you know, you made a reference in the in the first episode. You know, where you guys were bleeding out. You know, and I thought that was just a powerful, powerful analogy. Um, you know, no one wants to be dealing with the fact that they're bleeding out can help somebody else later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Reality though. And I think we all can agree with this is that once we do overcome something, it it does have the ability to help someone. And so, um, you know, I, I, I love that you, you just shared that. Um, Shanta. So if you could also, you know, kind of from your perspective, the clinician side of things, um, you know, what, what would you say to some people who might be on the fence and what kind of barriers do you often see in, in the field um, with people who can't or, or feel like they can't actually uh, connect in that way? So that was like 15 questions. Ooh, was two questions. That was two questions. And um, <laughs> a whole therapist, you hear whole <laughs> dissertations of questions. Go ahead. But the whole thing is, right, barriers. So barriers can be few and far between, or they could be numerous. They could be just as ambiguous as why is the sky blue? But a lot of times we see, um, Des talked about, you know, I love to talk about routine maintenance as part of self-care. He was saying you do it like if you had a toothache, you go to a dentist, you know, right. if you're not feeling good, you go to a doctor. However, we have not normalized and granted even medical and dental care in some communities is not normalized to the point where if you're experiencing pain, you seek out help. So we really need to get to a place where seeking help for mental, emotional, behavioral health issues is something that we do, that we think of as something that is external and not just something that is taken care of within the family or within the community, right? Yes, it takes a village, a whole village, big, big village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. That village should include healthcare professionals, dental professionals, yep. and mental health professionals. Yeah. You know, we educators. Mm-hmm. My children's educators have been called part of my family because, you know, they see my child so much, my children, children. Right. Right. Um, they see behaviors that I might not see. And that's, I work primarily in school settings. So teachers see some behaviors that you might not see. Absolutely. And it is, I would behoove you not to say, <laughs> oh, Timmy wouldn't do that. <laughs> I saw Timmy kick the teacher. I right. saw it. I saw it. <laughs> right. Timmy is not always quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Timmy be turning up. Timmy threw that chair. I saw it. Right. But also there are the, we don't talk about anything that happens in our house outside our house. Mm. So when you are conditioned with that type of language, when you're programmed with that type of language as a child, that becomes a core belief that you have as an adult. We don't talk about this outside our house. So we really do have to normalize the idea of seeking outside help. So, so Shanta, when I hear you say normalize it, mm-hmm. what are some action steps? Because I'm hearing you say that we can have, you know, this the full village is involved. We we know that we need a, a therapist. We need, you know, all these people in our lives. But what are some action steps about actually normalizing that behavior? Like, what can we individually do? Because, of course, as a collective, we're trying to drive this thing. I know for me, this is one of my passion areas. Like, let's normalize this thing. Let's destigmatize this thing. Mm-hmm. 
But individually, if we if each of us had a part in this thing, which we do, you know, to to form the collective, how do we normalize this in in actionable ways? Well, we have to talk about it. So I've talked about communication, 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 communication. And just like uh, for therapists, for teachers, document where it didn't happen. Right. But parents, we have to document stuff. We have to document behaviors. We have to question behaviors and then vocabulary. So vocabulary goes back to the communication. Now, what's wrong with you? Why did you break the lamp? Mm. Why did you kick the dog? Why did you not? What's what's your problem? So it goes back to how we communicate things with people, how we address issues with them. And again, that we don't talk about things. That starts when you're young. So that conditioning, that programming, that language. Language is important. The way we frame things, so we have to shift the narrative, how we communicate with our children, what messages we're trying to send to them. So if you want to send the message that it is a normal, because that's really, you know, not a word I choose to use, but an acceptable thing to talk about what you're feeling. We have to create spaces where it's safe for them to talk about their feelings. Do you really want to talk to your about your feelings to someone who is accusing you of something before they even know what the backstory is? Mm. Typically, most people are going to shut down when they are provoked or antagonized or being interrogated. And though we don't like to say it, many people are going to lie to cover. That's why small children lie. I don't want to be in trouble. Right. What, what, it's like, what do I need to do not to get in trouble? No, I didn't do that. Holding the marker right here in my hand. I did not write on my face. <laughs> All right. I didn't do it. What? Oh, I'm, I saw, it was like the cutest little video. Little girl, why did you write on your face? I didn't write on my face. There's a marker in your hand. Oh, there's a marker? Oh. <laughs> it's like, plausible deniability is out the window. Oh, girl, was like, I ain't do it. <laughs> didn't want to be in trouble. But that's based on a history of behaviors that came before. Mm. So we really have to set a foundation. We have to choose our words very intentionally. We have to talk to our children based on their development, based on their age, based on their level of comprehension. Because some three-year-olds can articulate a whole lot better than yes. some 15, 16, 20-year-olds. So we, we set the foundation by giving them the vocabulary, by communicating with them, by making it acceptable to express themselves and doing that by letting them know this is a safe place where you can do that. That's great. Thank you. Well, um, that was my dissertation. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Go ahead, Des. You want to chime in? I was just saying that that has to start young, like speaking to your, speaking to your children and uh, encouraging them to advocate for themselves, like, you know, when my daughter was young, actually when I was working out in another district um, and the principal always encouraged students to advocate for themselves. I'm like, why do you want to hear what these kids? I'm like, oh, why wouldn't we want to hear what these kids have to say? And then I took that home. Like, you know what? Well, I need you to talk to me. Like, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me why, why this happened. And then like actually sit and listen. Yes. Like a lot of our children, they, they're afraid to say anything because they know they already know what the outcome is going to be. And it's going to be some trouble. But if if they have a safe place and they can explain what happened and why they did it, that that just opens up the door for for more and better communication and and, uh, and a healthier relationship. Mm. Let's um, let's talk a little bit more about this, guys. So, I, you know, obviously I've got some questions here and some bullets, but I like where we are right now with this. So I'm hearing both of you. What do we do with a viewer, you know, who may be watching and like, okay, that's fine, but I'm working two jobs. I'm working three jobs to try to put food on the table. I'm a single parent and, uh, you know, I, I don't have time to have these discussions or I don't see everything that's happening right mm -hmm. uh, in the day. What, what do you say to that parent in terms of that communication piece with their kid? Okay. May I? Please. So... I am a community-based, a school-based community therapist, which means I go into homes. I'm primarily in schools, so I see kids in the school settings. Prior to COVID, of course, mm -hmm. in COVID, at least it's virtual. Uh, 
depending on certain therapist comfort levels, they may be back in homes. You know, that is their choice. But to those parents, structure and routines are very important, right? Mm -hmm. And while you may not see your child as much as you would like due to, you know, fulfilling your other responsibilities and obligations as a parent, the way you create space and time, those conversations you have when you're in the car or on the bus, in transit from one place to the other, the way you do your bedtime routines or your wake-up routines, creating these elements that say, oh, this is a safe space. Mm -hmm. This is somebody I can talk to. I can tell her, Jaden kicked me under my desk while I was coloring or whatever. But you have to be very intentional. You have to create that structure. You have to develop those spaces. And that is a very intentional thing. And when your teachers tell you that Jaden kicked somebody under the table because they had the red crayon and he wanted it, listen, please don't push back. Please don't say, Jaden, don't do that at home. Jaden don't have no siblings at home. Right. <laughs> right, right. That's a great point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or Jaden's sibling is 15. He right. five. He, yeah. he kicking him. So... Let's be open. Let's listen, not just to our kids, but to the people who interact with our kids mm. on a daily basis, right? That other caregiver, that auntie, that grandma, that cousin. You have to, the, the village has to communicate. Mm -hmm. And pay attention when those notes come home. Don't just leave them in the backpack, just stuff down in there. Yeah, yeah, take them out, got to read them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go from there. That's good. That's really because good. schools do offer services. Absolutely. School counselors, school social workers, yeah. they make referrals to people like me. Thank you. Uh, Des, did you want to chime in? So so for anybody who um, doesn't know Des, <laughs> Desmond is a principal in Michigan, uh, in Redford, Michigan. And, you know, that was in the first episode. But what can you speak to in terms of that? You know, because obviously you see a ton of things as a principal. Um, and you were teaching high school for how many years did you teach high school? Uh, eight, eight years. Eight okay. Years, yeah. right. You've seen quite a bit, you know, overall in dealing with our youth. So, you know, what are, um, what can you add to, to what Shanta has just said? I mean, I, I actually, I was, when she was speaking, I, it was like resonating. Like all I can do is echo what she said. Like a, a lot of times it's the routines, um, mm -hmm. and creating those spaces. Like, uh, you know, it's funny that she was saying on the ride home because that was some of our most intimate conversations with my, my oldest daughter was on the ride home from school every day because she knew that I was picking her up from school. We would have at least 15 minutes to have a conversation. Sometimes we would stop every Friday. We had a routine every Friday. We would stop and get slushies. Right. And she knew that we were getting slushies and she was excited about it. And she would talk about what happened during school. But every day I picked her up no matter what, like I was working 35 minutes away. I leave work. I go pick her up from school. She knew I was going to be there in the car rider line. I would pick her up and she had time with daddy. And she, she used that time to express whatever was going on. And now that she's older, she's a, she's a, oh, she's a teenager, Lord Jesus. So now she's a teenager. <laughs> she doesn't express as much to me as she used to because she has her mom now and her mom, like her mom can dig into those other conversations that she doesn't really want to have with her dad. But she still talks to me about a lot of stuff. We still have time after school. It's funny. She's she's a student in my own building. So she can come, she can come and see me like anytime she wants. She's with me like 24-7. It's great for her sometimes, and sometimes it sucks for her. But creating creating those spaces, and she knows boundaries. She knows um, when is the time to have those conversations. And I know also when those times are. Um, and sometimes I know that I can't have that conversation with her. I just I just can't. So like, I'll, I'll say something to, to her mom. I'm like, babe, you need to talk to her about X, Y, or Z. And then my wife is like, got it. And then within like <laughs> an hour, they've had that conversation um, because my wife can create that environment uh, a lot better than I can because I'm a dad and, you know, she's a nurturing mother. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's really good. And I'm, I'm glad you guys are speaking about, um, 
that routine. It's, it's structure is so huge. And, you know, for anyone who doesn't really know me in this space, um, I'm an educator. I teach middle school math. And, uh, you know, so it's interesting that we all kind of have a connection in the school system. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do see quite a bit. And, and, and it's remembering like what Shanta said, you know, it's, think about when we were kids, you know, we may have had a, a, a decent upbringing, may have had, you know, supportive, positive parents, maybe not. I don't know everybody's, you know, like back, backdrop. However, we had teachers that we confided in mm-hmm. when we were kids. And so maybe something our parent didn't know, maybe something um, we just felt we just felt safe and certain, you know, with certain teachers, right, with the proper boundaries. And, you know, it's interesting because those teachers and, and us, obviously, the three of us have been in this dynamic where we are we're the recipient of people, these young children who share things with us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, OK, we know what might be going on at home, whereas, you know, they may not share that with their own parents. Mm-hmm. And so it it takes us in our role also, you know, to make sure that we obviously are the safe space, um, obviously working within the bounds of we're mandated reporters, if anything critical comes up, mm-hmm. uh, that's, a, that's super important. And then also making sure that we are the listeners because mm-hmm. maybe at home they, they don't have someone who is going to just listen, just listen. Right. They may not have that. So that's just, you know, that's a little nugget, I think, <laughs> for anybody who's who's just listening. I think that routine and that structure is so very important. Um, it's important to be present. And and I'm not a parent, guys, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people. I've got nieces, nephews, little cousins, the whole thing. Obviously, I have a bunch of kids in my classroom. <laughs> I tell people like, oh, yeah, I got kids. Trust that. Um, but one of the things that I sometimes see, you know, I would sometimes be outside for pickup, you know, for the kids coming and. I would see parents who are, are, and this is no slam on the parents, but it's just something to be mindful of, you know, kicking back to what Shanta said earlier and Desmond, you know, with him, you know, uh, picking up his kids, I would be outside managing or facilitating the pickup with some of my coworkers. And I would see parents pick their kids up and the parents are already doing a million things. So they might be on the phone and maybe there's food in the backseat, you know, they're just trying to manage, you know, that drive home. But I often, most often saw parents who just picked their kids up, but these parents were just on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about that being present, right, that creating that routine, that creating the structure of this is the time that we can have the most intimate discussions on the way home, right, or on the way to school, Um you know, if we just create that structure, if we create that routine, that is that is, you know, maybe the only time that some of our parents will have with their kids, because maybe it's I got to do this pickup and then I got to go to the other school across town to do this other pickup. Mm-hmm. And then I got to get home, get them situated really quickly, maybe drop them off at grandma's house. And then I got to go to my other job. You know, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about my demographic mm-hmm. where I teach. And that is a very common occurrence. And so they might not get the opportunity at home to have the dialogues, right? Or to really dig in. You just know that when your child got in the car, teacher, I'm walking over to the car like, look, he got in trouble today. Right. He got rid of, he might be suspended for two days, you know, and then and now all of a sudden he's getting jacked up in the car by mom or dad or whomever, or uncle or whomever. Because he just got in trouble. So now there's no expression. There's no moment where this kid can express what was happening. And to your point earlier, you know, it's almost like a fear, like, well, I can't, I can't now, you know, I'm in trouble again. I was just in trouble three hours ago. (laughs) And now now I'm getting jacked up in the car. Right. And so I think that routine is, is, is very important. So I do appreciate you guys both speaking to that element. Um, couple of questions here. So Des, um, you know, what kinds of patterns have, wait, yes. What kinds of patterns have you seen um, in, in young black boys uh, who don't have an outlet to heal when they're faced with some things? You know, obviously you see the expression of anger. And, and I want to kind of go back a little bit to what you mentioned in the first episode about some anger that was coming out, the symptom of the trauma that was coming out in you and your coworker saying this. Mm-hmm. Your coworker kind of like, hey, grabbing you up, like, you know, what's going on? Right. Giving you the space to kind of, you know, share a little bit. But for you, again, it was symptoms just oozing out everywhere that people weren't used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And so now, obviously, 
you're in a role where you see young black boys all the time who are angry, who might be frustrated, who don't know how to maybe express themselves in a way um, to articulate what's going on. And that's teenagers, period. Like that's, 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 oh, I don't know how to get out. They don't know how to really, you know, they're not necessarily equipped with with that ability to express, you know, in these layered ways yet. Um, But what is it? I guess, how do you deal with, you know, young black boys? You know, what, what is something that you do dealing with them uh, in terms of their anger, these expressions that come out, you know, and what are some strategies you think as someone in your role um, to offer? That's, wow. So in my role um, as an assistant principal at one point and now as a building principal, it's a little different as a building principal because you're kind of pulled away from students more than you'd like to be. Um, but, um, I still interact with a lot of students and I see a number of things with, um, my black, my black young men that have gone through trauma or going through trauma or, or, or they've gone through something, right? Like you said, anger, some of them like literally just lie and just randomly make up, uh, randomly, randomly make up some stuff. Um, uh, they, they runners, they scream, they throw stuff, they, they just, it's just a number of things um, that happen and you like, you don't have time to go research. What do I do about <laughs> this, yeah. this situation? So literally all we, all we can do is sit down, try to create an environment where they feel safe um, and then allow them to find a way to express themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've been in my office and, and um, you know, boy, like picked up, uh, a picture that I had in my office that was framed with, you know, a glass frame and just knocked into it and glass is breaking. I'm sitting there like, this boy done broke my my stuff. Wow. But it's not about my stuff, right? Right. It's about creating an environment and giving him a safe place away from the commotion, right? Away from the noise, a, a quiet, safe space. Um, and then eventually he's able to deescalate. I don't know what what is is there to help de-escalate him. So I have to try a number of things, um, you know, speaking softly, uh, turning on some soft music, or it can be a number of, it can be loud music. I don't know. It can be a number of things, um, giving them something to throw, giving them something to write. Um, you know, I try a number of things. Um, and, and some of them, some of them work, some of them don't. A lot of times when it comes to, um, our, our black boys, they don't want to talk to anybody other than a black man. Right. Um, or or someone that they feel is someone that they can trust, um, mm-hmm. because in education, let's be honest, it's a bunch of white women. Right. And yeah. these women don't always quite want to hear or understand where they're coming from. Um, it's not that they don't want to. It's sometimes they just don't understand. Um, and then also teachers, they don't often have time to slow down and have that conversation. Right. Teachers have 150 students to worry about and to work on and to deal with. And then there's this one. Right. And I I, trust me, I honor teachers as often as I can. Like teachers worth their weight in gold, (laughs) literally. So what do you do? So this child, this young man comes down and you have to slow down. Like everything stops. You have to give him all of your attention. You can't sit there and be looking at your email and answering the phone. You got to give him all the attention, allow him time to eventually cycle down and then hopefully have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's typically what I try to do. Most of the time it works. Most of the time. It works. That's awesome. Shanta, did you want to add to that a little bit? I would. And shameless plug here. So okay. part of my my personal business is to partner with schools to help create safe spaces. Mm where students can go to find that tool, that resource to help them de-escalate, but not only students, those teachers who are worth their weight in gold. Because a lot of times we don't acknowledge the fact that our teachers are experiencing some trauma Mm -hmm. in the place where they go to work and to serve. So we need to create spaces for them as well. So that's Mm -hmm. what SL Hayes Group does is we partner with them to create those you know, trauma-informed spaces yeah. in trainings for educators 
so they can continue to do their job without pouring from an empty cup. Mm. But Desmond said a very important thing. That attention, right? I'm sorry. I'm going to put a pin in that. I'll go back to the top. Because the initial question was, what do we see? Mm. And what we see are behaviors. Yeah. Right? Because just clinically speaking, you have these thoughts. You don't know what to do with them. Experience these feelings. Where am I going to go? Right. And that leads to behaviors. Right? So that's what we're having. Yeah. Confusion, anger, frustration. I don't know how to express myself. I don't have the words. I don't have the vocabulary. Nobody's listening to me. Kicking chairs, throwing books, hitting people, biting, running. And I've had all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So safe spaces are essential. Because that teacher who already has a class where, unfortunately, I see a lot of loading. And I say loading because you see students that have a lot of the same behaviors are in one teacher's class because they feel like she has really good classroom management. Yep. Okay. She has great classroom management in a typical neuro, in a neurotypical classroom. Hmm. But you just put, you know, 16 kids with ADHD <laughs> and ODD. Right. And seriously. So <laughs> that is, that's stress. Yeah. Right. Because mm-hmm. benchmarks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But behaviors that's the point we see the behaviors so then we have to treat them but they need a lot of one-on-one mm-hmm. because even small kids groups are, are challenging right it's kind of like wrangling cats <laughs> no you know um i'm a huge believer in social emotional learning though so incorporating those social emotional um learning tools into day-to-day practices day-to-day classroom schedules yes. can be beneficial mm-hmm. you know and being mindful. So sitting with them, because it does work. I yeah. know it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, sitting with them and helping them to find that quiet space mm-hmm. for themselves. Find that peaceful place for themselves. So they can de-escalate. Because the goal is to help them learn how to de-escalate themselves. Right. Right. So there's less loss of learning time. Mm-hmm. They can run to, return to class. Mm-hmm. Keep it moving. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Instead of putting little boys with behaviors into, um, I can't remember what the classroom is called, but it's a self-contained classroom for children just with behaviors. They don't have any learning challenges per se. It's just behaviors. Mm -hmm. But when you have somebody that's running, and when I say running, I'm running out of the building. Right. Okay. Or threatening to jump from the second store window. What do you do with them? Right. We tuck them away. We put them in a room. Hmm. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. And I mean, as the community, does that sound familiar? We tuck them away. We put them in a room. Oh, yeah. We talk about it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Scared. Scared. So we have to acknowledge those behaviors, recognize they're coming from a place, and then address them one-on-one. Help them find that vocabulary because, again, right. it goes back to communication, mm-hmm. right? And even with nonverbal students, students that are on the spectrum, mm-hmm. they they know limits and boundaries, and that's why structure is so important. Yeah. So if we put in the time, we make the investment, even if it's signing, singing, playing music, mm-hmm. there are ways to communicate. We just have to take the time to find that way and implement it effectively. Yeah. So I love what you've just shared um, for a variety of reasons. You know, I'm listening and we were talking about barriers a little bit earlier. And one of the greatest barriers that I believe beyond the stigma is financial. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are a lot of people who would love to get therapy. Right. And, and, and maybe there are, you know, a lot more black men who want to get that therapy, but they're not necessarily um, able to because of financial mm-hmm. Right. Now, I know there are a lot, there are tons of resources available, and I know you can speak to some of those things. Mm-hmm. But I love what you just shared because what you've given us a little bit, and, and I want everybody to kind of, you know, replay this a little bit later. Obviously, we're educators on here, and we were kind of talking from the vantage point of the classroom or in the building, this kind of thing. But you can take those same strategies as a parent. Mm-hmm. Take it home. Absolutely. And implement that at home. Yep. And so everything that I'm hearing Shanta say, like, you know, and she made a really nice kind of uh, 
I guess, segue for lack of a better word, um, or a relationship, you know, a relation to us tucking things away in the house. And so culturally, I mean, we, you look, look, we might be one generation removed from that, but we definitely knew uncle Bobby or whoever, he don't come out much. Right. But you know, generation, um, one generation back, that was a thing, (laughs) you know, where, you know, we don't come out the room much. We've only mm-hmm. been there. And, you know, that's, I think it's really important, you know, what you shared about, you know, it's acknowledging these things. It's it's learning to understand that for all of us, most of us, any type of expression that's coming out of us that is negative is a symptom of something much deeper. Mm-hmm. And we are often reacting to the symptom of someone. Right. So if we can just pause for a moment when we're dealing with our young folks if we can just pause and realize okay they're acting like this because of something else and instead of just going in on them because there's a symptom that we see it's take a step back why are they acting like this you know so i love what you've shared and for you know those who are viewing please go back and watch that and kind of listen and think about some ways that you can bring that into the house because maybe can afford therapy. Maybe these resources are hard to get to. Maybe the barrier is that you don't have time. Maybe you're working two, two and three jobs. And I say this because I know actual people who are working literally three jobs and raising two teenagers or preteens, which is incredibly difficult yeah. and trying to manage and be present and trying to work through, um, you know, just helping them in the class and this kind of thing, especially in this virtual space. And so maybe the barrier is that they don't have time, right? But if they can pull some of these strategies out that, that you're even just sharing here that we've talked about that take place in the classroom or that we would use as, you know, administrators and, and you know, uh, leadership within schools, that also is something that would, I believe, benefit um, someone who might not be able to, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's an alarm on my, all the things, goodness, sorry, guys. Um, that's something that would benefit, uh, I believe, you know, someone's household structure. Right. Um, so thank thank you for that. I, I definitely want to. Uh, can, I, can I say a little something about that? Like when it, when it comes to man, when it comes to um, receiving help, like you cannot prioritize it more. It, you can't prioritize it enough um, when it comes to mental health. You and I, Rajet, we talked about this uh, earlier uh, last weekend. And, um, you know, we 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 if we're not emotionally sound and mentally like together, we can't, we can't do anything right. Like nothing else will work. Like the rest of the body will not work if our mental health is not stable. So it it was not, uh, thank God I have the finances to, to pay for, um, uh, you know, therapy. Like it wasn't, it wasn't cheap, but it wasn't like expensive to the point where I was like, like deciding whether I was going to pay for lunch and, or go to therapy. It was, right. okay, I'm sacrificing some money for the betterment of myself, my mm-hmm. marriage, and my entire family. Um, so I'm not saying that, I just don't want people to think that it's all, it's, it's going to cost you a lot of money to receive therapy. It's not, it's going to take you time, right? Because, if if you don't get uh, anything, any any services or any therapy, it's gonna just drag on, and it's gonna things are gonna get worse. Like diabetics, if they don't take care of themselves over time, it gets worse, and then you have to cut off something, or or you die. Like, is this something that you want to do? Like, I'm not trying to be dark or morbid or anything, but this is just the reality of it all. Like, either either in my heart, either. Either I get really angry and I turn into this really angry, mad uh, person, or I learn how to deal with the things that I've gone through and I become a better person. My wife becomes, uh, she thrives. My daughters, both of them thrive out of it. And we become a more functional family. Mm. I love that. Des. Um, May I piggyback off yeah. of that? Go ahead. Go ahead. So, we, I liken self-care to a car. And Des said, if your mental health is intact, then nothing, but it works the same. Like if your physical health isn't good, your mental health is impacted. So we really have to make sure we're performing that routine maintenance, Mm -hmm. right? 
And families may not know, but contact your school counselor or contact your school social worker because as I said, I'm a school-based community therapist. I meet people in their homes, you know, or other private spaces where they're willing to talk. So I'm coming to you. You don't necessarily have to go, you know, 30 minutes up the road or pack a lunch and all that stuff, right? right? Right. Because we do want to address this. And we do want people to know that it can, there are resources out there so that it is not, you know, a backbreaking expenditure. There are what are called APEX grants. They are, they provide funds for mental health care services in community, underserved communities, because we are endeavoring to make sure that children get the the tools that they need. Right. Um, And families too, because we provide family services as well. Um, But they are out there, but you have to be willing to accept the help. Because teachers, mm-hmm. social workers make referrals all the time. Yep. yep. And we call and we call and, and they don't schedule. You may do an intake, but then you don't schedule individual appointments. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that I can see your child at school all day long. No, I can't bill for that. But um, I can see them routinely as long as you know, I'm allowed. But that family support that back end, mm-hmm. you know, is really needed because that's like fixing a hole in this wall, but this window is broken over here. Right. So you still got all this coming in. Yeah. We have to fix and everything yeah. so that we can seal the structure. Love that. Right? That's good. That's good. Love that. And please just be open to the idea of something different, Mm -hmm. a different way of communicating, a different way of engaging your child. And trust me, I know what it's like to be a tired parent. I have three daughters. Okay. You know, but but you have to make that time. You have to listen to them Mm -hmm. and you have to listen to hear and to understand, not just to rebut, not to go back on what they just said. That's good. You know what I'm saying? So be open. Yeah. That's good. I love that. Um, you know, I was thinking, Desmond, earlier when you were talking about um, how, you know, if, we, if we're not dealing with our personal stuff, I would just kind of, you know, it's going to manifest, right? And so I can't remember if I made this analogy in the last episode or if it was just in our talks offline. Um, I remember a a gentleman telling me years ago that, Rajet, you can only hold a beach ball underwater for so long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember that. That changed my whole life. (laughs) Exactly. I was doing a ton of stuff. And again, you know, at some point I'll share my story and I'll, I'll, why I'm such an advocate for mental health. But um, I had just gone through a ton of trauma and it was compounded trauma. And I was in an environment where I was doing just a multitude of things and just kind of go, 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 because my default setting when something happens with me, I'm like, okay, let me just dive into all the things. That's, that's kind of my thing. I was like, I don't want to feel, I don't want to deal with it. Let me just busy myself. And a lot of people don't realize that that is a mechanism, a coping sure. mechanism. Mm-hmm. not healthy. It is very, you know, in some right. cases, balance, mm-hmm. doing other things and making sure you're, you're uh, operating in self-care, okay. But if you're not doing that <laughs> and you're just diving into all of the things, that's just another escape pattern. And, um, um, excuse me. Doing the most, <laughs> doing the most uh, is deflection. Yes. It yes. is absolute deflection. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I went through a season like that where I was deflecting left and right. And I didn't know any better. I mean, it's just, again, you know, culturally, I, look, I grew up with a mother and, and family, aunts and uncles on my mom's side who were raised in the segregated South, East mm-hmm. Point, Georgia, so Atlanta, Georgia, and during the civil rights movement, and they were active participants in it. And so then I come along. And I want, you know, I feel sad about something or feel some kind of way. And, and you know, I got mom and aunties like, oh, yeah, suck it up. Don't, don't cry. You know, like that's, 
that's life. I'm like, okay, all right. I mean, I guess because y'all live through Jim Crow, so okay, I guess I can enjoy it. And so, um, as an adult, I just knew manage all these things, right? And so this gentleman who, I was in a leadership uh, capacity over a substantial amount of people and, and kind of some volunteering that I was doing. And this gentleman who had worked with um, one of, uh, a very, very popular Christian psychologist who's authored a ton of books and this kind of thing. He was a good friend of his actually. But he saw me after a meeting and he said, you know, I want to talk to you for a second. He sat me down in the corridor and he said, Rajat, you can only hold a beach ball underwater for so long. And I remember, like I said, it just changed my life instantly because I thought about that. And if you know anything about me, I think about all the pieces of that. And <laughs> instantly I'm like, man, right. Because if I hold the beach ball, then now my arms are hurt. Some some part of my body is is going to be stressed out trying mm-hmm. that, right? And at some point, I will fatigue. Mm-hmm. I will damage to myself. I will overexert something in the actual manual, physical moment. I might feel strong for a while, like, yeah, I got this. But eventually, that beach ball is going to come flying up out of that water. Exactly. And, you're- and, and <laughs> you know, he at that point had challenged me, you know, to, to get some therapy. He didn't even know what I had gone through, but it was one of these, it was like he could see it. You know, and I guess he had worked with, you know, these authors and they were, you know, psychologists and this kind of thing. Um, he, he was able to just, you know, just pick it out. And I was so thankful, you know, for him and just sharing that with me. Um, I think, you know, as it, as it pertains to what you were sharing, Desmond, you know, I think about that with our, with our kids. So as, as someone who's parenting, right, or you're a guardian over someone, you know, I want to kind of get out of the teacher lane for the moment as we kind of get to the end of this broadcast. Um, it is a matter of talking to your kids as well about that very thing. Like, okay, like you're holding these things in, like it's going to come out. It's going to come out with you kicking Timmy. It, it's going to come out with you breaking glass and Mr. Smith's right. office. It's going to come out, you know, and, you know, I'll share even something my own therapist, you know, mentioned to me a, a few weeks back, you know, as I was dealing with some grief, I had a loss of, of a family member recently. Um, you know, one of the things that she mentioned, she's just like, look, you have a history of, you know, not dealing with it, right? Like not grieving properly, right? And I've, I've, I've learned <laughs> how to do that, but then every so often I'm like, mm, I don't want to feel this, right? And so, you know, she was just challenging me and she's like, look, it's going to come out it's just going to come out either healthy or it's going to come out terrible. Yeah. And that, that's the thing, you know, and it's, it's talking with your kids about that, showing them and modeling for them, um, you know, some, some positive behaviors. And so I think these strategies that we've been talking about here today are certainly strategies that can be taken, you know, for, for our viewers, you can, can begin to use some of these in, in your own household and your own families. I want to kind of take a, a quick shift here. Um, so again, for those who didn't see episode one, please catch episode one so that you can understand the context, the full context of what we're talking about um, with regard to Desmond. He shared, um, like I said, a very heavy, very deep and personal um, story, you know, that he and his wife experienced and um, it, it was centered around loss. Um, and so Des, I, I just wanted to kind of shift a little bit and kind of go back uh, to that. I have a couple of questions here, but, but one of the things that stuck with me from our conversation um, last week was, you know, you, you mentioned, and I will say this much, you know, you mentioned the loss of your child. Um, and that was a lot of what you communicated. What was so interesting for me is that in all of my 43 years, I've not, I don't think I've ever heard a male express the loss of a child in the way that you guys did lose a child. Right. I've not had these conversations with men. And I was like, gosh, like those who I know who have lost children have been married. The ones I know, they've been married. And I've certainly heard the conversation from the wives, the mothers, the grieving, I see that collectively with mothers. I'll see mothers connect with other mothers about right. it. Um, and I had not at all heard the father perspective until interviewing you and just hearing just how this manifested, right? And so, um, you know, I, I think I asked you a little bit offline, you know, do, do you know any fathers 
who have talked about the loss of a child, you know, where, where you guys are talking collectively as a, as a group, or are you sharing these things, or are you just seeing that people who maybe have lost a child in this way, maybe you're just seeing the men just act out in a certain kind of way versus having those conversations? Have you seen this? Yeah, I mean, we, I, I, I've got several friends um, that have gone through similar uh, losses. Um, it, it doesn't even have to be a loss. It can just be a disappointment about a child, like a child that may come out um, and then, you know, a couple years go by and you realize that your child had autism. Like, that's traumatic, right? You have to, there's a number of things that the child has to go through, and then there are things that the parents have to learn and 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 go through. And that's not, it's not, that's, that's not normal as well, right? But uh, the guys that I know that have gone through similar uh, traumatic experiences in myself, it is not a part of the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, guys, we don't talk about, uh, we don't want things we don't talk about. We don't talk about marriage. <laughs> we don't talk about, um, we don't talk about uh, relationships really. Um, but we do talk about sports. We'll talk about uh, money. We'll talk about our jobs, um, but we don't talk about matters of the heart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is ridiculous. Like the first time I had a conversation with a guy, a, a good friend of mine um, about a matter of the heart was when I was 40 years old. Like yeah. girls talk about this stuff when they're in preschool, when they're in elementary. Girl, girls will talk and they'll talk and they will talk and they will get together and they'll talk. They'll go get some wine and they'll talk. They'll go, they'll get on Skype. They'll get on whatever media. They'll find a way to talk. Guys, we'll go to the man cave and we will sit and chill by ourselves and wallow in our own pity. Like, and that's, and that's what a guy does. Um, but the first time, the first couple times, um, you know, it, it's, it's weird because, you know, we, me and this, my friend, we were sitting there having a conversation about trauma and we're both like, why haven't we ever talked about this before? Like, <laughs> like we've both going through the same stuff and we've known each other for decades and we've never talked about this. I have another friend, you know, he went through a divorce, uh, really ugly, bitter divorce with his uh, wife. And I'm like, dude, you should, you should go to some counseling. Like, it's nothing wrong with it. Like, before they before they officially, you know, went through divorce, I was like, you really should go through some counseling with her. You know, you never know what might happen, right? Then when they divorce, I'm like, before you get into your next relationship, you really should go through some counseling. Like, you and your family has gone through some trauma. And then, you know, he um, now he's, you know, married. I'm like, you really should go through some counseling. And, I mean, how many times can you say that? But, I mean, I'm going to keep saying it, like, I believe in it and I know that it, it, it should be done. Um, and then with some other guys, I want to shout out my, my, uh, my former roommates because we over, over COVID over the whole like pandemic, we would meet every Thursday night for hours. That's and awesome. some of you guys know them, Rob McConnell, yes. Parker and Mike Jameson. Wow. Are my dudes. Like we would sit for hours. My wife would be like, Oh, you got, you got meeting with your fellas tonight. That's great. Like she'd be excited for me, right? Because she knows that guys don't sit and talk. Like we would literally sit and talk from seven to like 10, 10 11 o'clock at night. And she'd be upstairs watching TV. When I get up there, she was like, How was it? <laughs> right? <laughs> How was it? out at this point, right? Like you're just right. Right. I'm like, Man, it was great. We're going to do it again next week. So every Thursday night, we called it, I'm not going to tell you what we called it, but. It was, it, was a great, it was a great time. We talked about marriage. We talked about relationships. We talked about money. We talked about sports a lot because that's, that was like one of our connections. But um, the fact is that we were able to have conversations that were not so uh, generic or so surface. We were able to dig deeper and have some, some uh, stronger uh, conversations. So, um, so it's, it's a rarity that guys um, talk about those things. But I'm I'm like pushing for more guys to have these conversations because it needs to happen. That's amazing. I'm so glad you shared that. Um, look, <laughs> I might have to hit them up and see if 
<laughs> you guys can be on the show, like the four of you, right? Like that would be It'd amazing. Be yeah, I think we would have a good time with that. Uh, Shanta, did you want to contribute? We're wrapping up here in a little bit. Absolutely, I do. Uh, one, kudos. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, Because I have a group of friends that I meet with every Friday since the pandemic started. Right. So it's great. That support is necessary. Mm-hmm. Two, though, I heard you speak of it in the past tense. Please tell me y'all didn't stop. Keep it going. Oh, no, we still, we yeah. still, we still, yes. Okay. The way that we normalize, right, is by making it something that is part of our everyday. So keep it going. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you have to open it up, but definitely keep encouraging others to do that because I have recognized in all of my 42 years of life (laughs) that um, a lot of men don't, but some men do, but when they do, they're in those small intimate spaces. Mm those small groups yep. small groups are great yep. we love small yep. groups you get a lot done in small groups y'all know that y'all teachers and right. some of small groups okay? <laughs> right so <laughs> you know but having those conversations in small groups it's like popcorn mm-hmm. pops out goes over there so yeah. you're having those conversations in different groups now but we're we're spreading it we're normal it's becoming a thing that we do yeah. we're talking about these things and again, that's part of you know, the stigma, why a lot of men may not. Um, culturally, we spoke about, you know, but again, I push back on the cultural because it is a very human thing for people to tell their little boys, this is the way boys behave. This is the way boys talk. This is what boys talk about. Yeah. And that that pain and that hurt, those are typically things that, in the words of my bestest friend, Ricky Bobby, you buried deep down inside, never to be brought up again. But that's not the way it works. We know that seeds planted in the ground, they sprout. So we have to make sure that we are encouraging and watering, you know, those positive habits of expression and talking through it and making sure that you are connecting with what you're feeling. And again, being okay with saying I need or I accept help. Yeah. That's another huge hurdle. Yeah. So kudos to you guys for just getting together as as friends, as peers, and having those deep conversations and encouraging each other to do that work. Because you typically don't say the words without some kind of work coming after. Right. Right. Especially at this point in our lives, knowing the type of men that you are and know that work has come. Yeah. So kudos. Truly kudos. A shout out to the squad. Yes. Definitely. Thank you, Shanta. Um, so Shanta, before we go, how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to connect? Um, Atlanta, so first of all, Shanta is based out of Atlanta, Georgia, um, right? Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, and so any of my family that's watching. Hey. I'm here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I got some family out there too, so COVID safe. Let's carport yeah. cool or something. Um, but no, you can reach me on slhaze.com. And for weekly motivations, I am at slhaze speaks on all social media. So weekly little nuggets, uh, words of inspiration, let you know any specials that I'm offering on coaching or books or things like that. But I want you to be mindful that, again, fit is always important. We talked about fit last week. So thank you. Yay. Sorry. <laughs> See what happened was. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> yes. So we want to create spaces that are safe for all persons. And SLH Speaks represents not just individuals, but also educators and communities. We want to address the needs of all parties because it is a village and we must work together to effectively lighten the load of reducing the stigma that is associated with talking about mental health and then getting help 
yeah. or any challenges you might be experiencing. So awesome. Thank you so much again, guys. I think we did a great job, had a great, wonderful time with you per usual. Um, you guys will, will join me again at some point in the future. I'm sure that. But thanks for um, just everything that you've offered in the way of vulnerability and resources and just your voice. It's so needed in this in this context and during this time. So appreciate you. Um, for my viewers, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to get this under an hour. I promise you that. <laughs> promise you that that's coming we this is the second episode and there's a lot that i'm going to be uh kind of trying out so bear with us uh, thanks for joining us we will be able to catch the rebroadcast as well um so we appreciate you thank you and in the meantime continue personally to try to shift some of these narratives that's gone out about us that's negative and, and sort of redefining and, and tearing down stereotypes that's what i believe i'm called to that's what i do and this is a space for that so until next time we will see you I'll see you later. 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 <laughs>